0: For tuning in, we are in Psalm chapter 90, verse 5 now. Thou carriest away them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, and the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. May the Lord raise a blessing to one of the most beautiful psalms. You say that every time, Well, the word of God is a beautiful, a beautiful rite, especially this one, Lord, from thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Sometimes we are overwhelmed with the feeling that life is just a little bit futile. We have heard statistics just of late how many of our young people are feeling so discouraged. Well, if you tell them there's nothing to live for and, and, and you're just simply going to cease to exist and, and all these different things, they're going to be discouraged encouraged we, we can perhaps you can even you can amass a great fortune and be cut down in the prime of life sometimes you do it to yourself Alex Murdoch from what I heard just a little bit was a their whole family was very wealthy and yet he turned it to so many evil dealings just having been found guilty of of two of two homicides and sentenced to two life sentences and he's gonna face what they said hundreds of other charges yet and so uh, his life is uh, gonna be a difficult rest of his life but he, he had all these things going for him, and then he got involved, one said, in, in drugs, etc., and got involved in the wrong kind of lifestyle. You can work, perhaps you can work and look work for retirement, and you're, man, if I can just get to I retire. You see, many people do that, and sadly, many of them have difficulties, and as soon as they retire, something comes on them. Before you know it, they are in glory or passed on. It was George Bernard Shaw who Riley observed the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one, people die. Look what the psalmist said in Psalm the verse 9 and 10. 99, 90 verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years... As a tale that is told, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. You can try to live. Myrtle Brown, who who I've known for quite some time, turns a hundred real soon. And that's quite a monumental age. A hundred. But yet, that in a moment, really it's just a moment of time compared to God's eternity, an eternity that we're going to experience. So in light of all this, by the way, this psalm was part of the uh, Church of England's funeral uh, wordage, if you would. Part of, the, according to J.C. Ryle, this is the psalm that often used at the burials, or people are standing around, and it does it does bring us up short. It does. The days of our years are three score years and ten. So teach us then, verse twelve, to number our days. What makes life worthwhile? It is serving the Lord. We. are None of us are in the exact same stream. You have what God's called you to do, I have, and then each of us has a place in God's plan. And fulfilling what God wants us to do is what makes life worthwhile. It does. Now, this Psalm 90, next to the book of Job, Psalm 90 is likely, right from your outline, the oldest piece of writing in the Bible. This psalm, and probably the anonymous one from uh, Psalm 91, follows, written by Moses, according to Dr. Phillips, on the way from Egypt to Canaan. And when you think about it like that, with Moses as he's writing and thinking about the the wilderness wanderings, what they have been doing, and Dr. Morris thinks it was toward the end of his life, he writes this psalm. They'll teach us to number our days. Every single one of those that were 20 years old or older and, and had been the naysayers, when the tribes went out, they all have perished. Can you imagine? You are you're 21 years of old years of age, and you know you know you're gone. But before 40 years done, you are going to be in eternity. You're not living beyond that. You just know that, and so that's what they lived with. And I was thinking about this. Do you think there were any, some of at least a remnant of Israelites? That really wanted other than Joshua and Caleb that probably would have liked to have gone on into the promised land. Probably they were. They were well, matter of fact, when, when Elisha, Elijah, Elijah said, I'm the only one left, oh, there's 7,000. And we may well experience persecution and takeover in our own country. And yet, but you see, even the godly people are going to suffer. With because of the overall mindset of a country, sometimes godly don't you think there were godly people in in Germany when Hitler took over? Yes. Cory Tin Boom. I mean there, there were godly who were following and there's just because the country goes into captivity, well, how about Daniel? The three Hebrew children. There are going to be those who, even though your country, you still, we still, we're going to be expected to, and we should continue to follow God. There are probably some innocents in a month that Israel, what, a million and a half people? Approximately came out of Egypt, approximately. So there probably were some that were, you know, I'm ready to go. I don't have any say in the matter, but I'm with Joshua and Caleb. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're not Joshua and Caleb related to them, you're you're not going to make it out of the wilderness. The treasure of David said this was not the only prayer of Moses. Indeed, it is but a specimen of the manner in which the seer of Horeb. By the way, what's another name for Horeb? Mount Horeb. Mount is the S. Sinai. Sinai. Right. Mount Sinai. Very good. It's where the law. Horeb and Sinai. One and the same. And so we call it, his, his person calls him the seer of Horeb the one that was Moses who interceded for Israel, J. Alexander said, regarding Moses being the author of Psalm 90, he said, after his all his, all his uh, writings, he said, the, the proved impossibility of plausibly assigning it to any other person or any other age. In other words, Moses is the author. Matter of fact, something we so often neglect. Look right below, in your Bibles, perhaps, right below the word Psalm 90, What does it say? A prayer of Moses, what? Man of God. And we, we sometimes, when's the last time you read the heading? And so this was Moses, the man of God. He was, Samuel Berger says, Moses may be considered as the first composer of sacred hymns. I like that cool accolade, the first composer of sacred hymns. Many generations, again, of mourners have listened to this psalm as they're standing at the graveside at the loss of someone, a loved one. It's interesting to recall that Genesis had not yet been published. Moses may well have already written Genesis together with Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, part of Numbers, but they were not in circulation. So in your outline, thus Psalm 90 stands in grand isolation as the oldest psalm in history. Pastor, wait just a minute. What is our timeline here? Well, Genesis is about 4,000 B.C. So then you have Adam and Seth and his family writing these books that God is going to allow Moses about 1,400, 1,500 B.C., 2,500 years later. How is it that Moses writes about the events in Genesis so he is 2,500 years after Adam? Because God superintends them keeping books about their family, passed on down to Moses, and then God inspires Moses to arrange the book, the early part of Genesis, and however God wanted him to arrange it using what God had obviously indicated and directed Adam and his family to do. Moses was not there from 4004 all the way to 1400. He wasn't there. But he compiled that book under the inspiration of God then we get to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yes, Moses authored those. He authored the other as well. But he was living during those times. And so at the end of the, he gets ready to go into the promised land. but He did not go into the promised land. So it can't be from the promised land. He then looks back. Lord, now it's been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. That Those verses are just monumental to our theological understanding of just who our God is. Jason Hamilton, or James Hamilton, I know Jason Hamilton, James Hamilton, the writer said, It is one of the oldest poems in the world. Compare it with Homer and Pindar, are so to speak modern, and even King David is of recent date in comparison to that. Now, I have to say that Moses is about 14, 1500, David is about 900 to 1,000, somewhere from 1,000 to 900, so it's about 500 years difference. <clears throat> So those who collected the Psalms, says John Phillips, they arranged them. Now they have arranged the Psalms, the 150 songs, into how many books? It's either five or 100. Five. That was the right answer. Five different. So these 150 are arranged into five. And if you look there, if you look in your Bibles again, do you not? Do you have a book four? Over your, oh, if you have a, if you have a study Bible, perhaps concerning Israel and the nation. Interestingly enough, some believe that these five books were to go along with the Pentateuch. Now we know what the Pentateuch is, right? Is the Pentateuch and the Decalogue the same thing? Is the Pentateuch, the Decalogue, and the Te- to Grammaton the same thing? No, no, and no. Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. X. How about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy? The Decalogue. We've been going over those on Sunday nights for the last twelve weeks. Ten Commandments. The Tetragrammaton. That was the Yahweh, Y H W H, the all, the self-existing One. Who am I? who am I going to say to Israel? Sent me, says Moses. I am that I am. The Tetragrammaton. And remember, the Jewish people. It wasn't until nine hundred AD that the Masoretes put the vowel points in with the Hebrew text to give us Jehovah or Jehovah. And so that is just a little bit, a tidbit there. But so we have the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and the Tetragrammaton, capital G-O-D, or capital L-O-R-D, the real, the big significant name of who God is. I am that I am. Interestingly enough, the five pentateuch books and the five books of set up of the psalms are to supposedly to go together talking about the similar incidents etc and so the first the five books within the psalms and the five books first five books of the old testament you know the story the men brought the minority report back the 12 spies and by the way the 12 spies did not go out to see if if they could conquer the land. They went out to see how they're going to divide the land up. God said, the land is yours. You are going to have victory in me as you trust me. And so they was not deciding. I remember Richard Harper preaching on this years ago. It was not deciding if we can take it. If you are going to decide what's there and how we're going to divide it up. But then, of course, they came back. And by the way, you and I, before we throw too many stones, giants in the land. And they're, they're, and they're very well put and they're very well healed and there's, and there's giant cities. And I tell you, without God, they're not going to do it. They just they're smaller in number. The cities are well healed and they're well financed most likely, and they're huge walls. They could race chariots across the walls of Jericho. And so without God doing some miraculous things which He had promised, they're not going to win. And so that's why probably, well, 10, not probably, but 10 of the 12 <clears throat> said, no, we can't do it. We're not going to do it. Too, too big, too much problems. And interestingly enough, just a couple chapters later, they died of the plague. Uh, a couple chapters after that, after not doing what God had wanted them to do. So they said, no. And so for every 40 days touring the land as spies, 40 years touring the land, wandering in the wilderness. So every day, a year in the desert. Oh, they were marching, but they weren't marching to any place in particular. They were just beating time until all those had passed away as retribution for not trusting God. It was sort of like they had the sand in the hourglass, not the days of our lives, but sand in the hourglass over their heads and there's a time your time's running out. When this gets to the end, you are, you are done and you will not get past that point. Question you, which you may not know the answer to, is question number one. I've asked a lot of hard questions this evening. I'm, I'm gathering that. What do Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha, Shemaiah, and Igdaliah, and Timothy, all have in common? They're all in the Bible. Okay, now we want to be more specific than that. They're the only who, men, people who are directly called a man of God. In the scripture, these eight are the only people who are directly called a man of God. If in case you're wondering, it's Deuteronomy 33 verse 1 for us. If you want to see it, and I'll just turn over there real quick and read it. Deuteronomy 33.1 for the person in question for tonight. Just so you know, pastor's not making up something, which you, by the way, you should be looking in your Bibles all the times as well. 33 verse 1, you're going to see, and we find that, and this is the blessing wherewith Moses the man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death. So he was one of only eight people to be called a man of God. There's a couple of strangers in there for us, uh, Shemiah and Igdaliah. We're to the outline now, in case you're wondering, number on page, bottom page one, the right perspective, and we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God first, and we have the number letter A, a tremendous God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. i tell you, that verse alone shoots down evolution right there. The Bible is abundantly clear. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, God did it. I mean, Moses is clear. The Holy Spirit's clear. Moses is clear. The Bible is clear. There really is no waffling. I, I struggle. And I, I know people have a lot of varied opinions as Christians, but when they say we know, we just can't know how many years. I'm telling you, you're doubting what the Bible, the genealogies, if you check the genealogies, there's 14 generations here, 14 generations here, 14 generations here, and it goes back, and the genealogies go all the way back to Adam, the very first man. You cannot, biblically speaking, fit millions of years anywhere in the text of scripture. It's six days of creation. If it were thousand-year days, then we would have a thousand Mondays, a thousand year Mondays, a thousand year Tuesdays, and we get to the Sabbath day a thousand year long Sunday. You see, if it's if it's that long back then, why is it so short now? The answer is God's word is correct all along. I know it's a hobby horse of mine, but I'll just get off the hobby horse. Just just trust the Bible for what it says, honestly. Question number two. How far back into the past was Moses looking when he panned all generations? What do you think? How far back could Moses look? Well, look all the way back. Lord, that has been our dwelling place. We've got all the way back to Adam. If you want to go back that far, specifically, we want to go back to the very first Israelite. Who would be? Abraham, the very first Israelite. The Lord has watched over Abraham. Did he not? Yes. He can look back above a thousand years, if you would, all the way back to the flood, if you want. The flood's about 2300, 2400 B.C., we today, we can look back 3,000 years in retrospection and see how God has clearly, 4,000 years back to, to Abraham, 6,000 years back to the creation of, of all things. 6,000 years, about I really pretty fairly, that's about how old we are. 6,000 years. Augustus Tolik said, The great being who during the lapse of 3,000 years, amidst the countless changes of the universe has to this day remained unchanged. And all the things that are changing, all the different ways our culture is changing, it is so quickly our culture has changed, etc. God remains the same. We can't say, well, in our culture, the Bible has to say this. and In that culture, the Bible was saying that. That's okay for their culture, but we are an enlightened. I tell you, we are a darkened culture is what we are. Not enlightened, we are darkened. Question three, what does in all generations say, uh, uh, should we say, about our wonderful God? He's eternal. He's living. He's timeless. He doesn't change. The psalm begins with the name Adonai, Lord, Adonai, the sovereign Lord, sovereign relationship to the earth. I believe God is in control of all things. He is in sovereign control. I do not believe, personally believe, in sovereign. Uh, theological predeterminism for every single individual who's ever lived. The person don't believe in that, but he is sovereign nonetheless. I still believe in the sovereignty of God. He is yet in control. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, you think, well, perhaps he's going to lose control here or maybe lose control there. No, I'm telling you, he's in control. I've read the end. I've read the end, and he knows, and he's had it all planned out. And I believe He gives we human beings the freedom to choose. Not trying to get too theological there, but the freedom to choose. You can either reject or accept Him. Israel, oh, I would get. How often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but ye would not. You wouldn't. It was your. You just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. How many times have we given invitations, and people just won't respond? They just. They choose not to or don't think it's that important. People across America think that rightness with God is not so important, but it surely, surely is, truly is. I think the, the chorus is, what a mighty God we serve, and our God is an awesome God. It's the same in all generations. So a tremendous God. Secondly, a tender God in 90 verse 1, Thou has been our dwelling place. Habitation, lair, refuge. John Phillips says it literally means a den. He says when I would go visit homes, I wouldn't necessarily be want to be taken into the formal living room. I much rather went into the den because that's where the family would gather and is more of a relaxed atmosphere instead of the formal living room. It's like being at home, if you would. And he is our, he is our dwelling place. He is our refuge. That is our God. He is a place where we are uh, to, to find ourselves going to often. Dwelling place, the Hebrew word for dwelling place may also be translated as it does refuge in Deuteronomy 33, 27. Another song of Moses, Thomas Manton in your outline says, many seem to beg God's help in prayer, but are not protected by him. They seek it only in a storm. And when all other means and refuges fail them, but a Christian must maintain constant communication with God, must dwell in God, not run to him now and then. Luther said, for if God is our dwelling place and God is life, and we dwellers in him, it necessarily follows that we are in life and shall live forever. For who shall call God the dwelling place of the dead? That's not our God. He said he's the God of the living. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who were still very much alive and are alive today. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. That's our God. Is In this eternal one, says Spurgeon, there is a safe abode from your outline for the successive generations of men. If God himself were of yesterday, He would not be a suitable refuge for mortal men. If he could change and cease to be God, he would be but an uncertain dwelling place for all people. Do you see, have have you ever just thought and paused how the Bible is right every single time, every time? And it doesn't contradict itself. It never says God's the only the God of the yesterday. That's why the Bible can be, he's our God today. When we pray, I was thinking of that, that little young man. I know we've had some young people who, that five-year-old little boy who just from that little text, I can tell you, is facing an awful time from all he's going to face. Ian had a really rough time the last couple of months. Praise the Lord God brought him through all that. And there's so much pain. I tell you, if I didn't know that I could call on God today. Our God is not, he's not Allah, which by the way is a completely made up God. He's not Confucius. He's not the Buddha of many, many centuries past. He's the God who today is upholding all things by the word of his power. He is Lord, he is Adonai, he is the sovereign Lord and he's the one when we pray, that's who we're calling on. In 1400s, Giovanni Pico said this, Pico, God created the earth in your outline for beasts to inhabit, the sea for fishes, the air for fowls, and the heaven for angels and stars, so that man hath no place to dwell and abide but in God alone. Uh, and that, that's a, I mean, this is 1400, 1400s. I love that. We have no place to abide and to be happy but in God alone. I know he's given us the earth to dwell on. but The point was this. He is our refuge. He is our dwelling place. So not only is he a tremendous God, a tender God, he's a timeless God in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever thou hast formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Clark says, top of page three, this is the highest description of the eternity of God to which human language can reach. From everlasting to everlasting. Now just think about that for a moment. Think about the United States of America. What, 240-some years? Are we 250 yet? Mm, 76. Not quite yet. 246 or 7, 7 years old, 246 years old. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, we have eternal life, but we're not from eternity past. God is eternal. Always has been. I, don't, I was just telling the Lord today, I don't understand your eternality that you always have been. You are now and you always will be, but I believe it. The Bible has said it. I can't grasp it thoroughly. I can't explain the Trinity for your complete understanding and satisfaction, but I certainly do believe it. How that God became 100% man while retaining 100% God, how all that worked together and people have gone to seed and passed That's why you have so many Christological errors and heresies for six primary ones because they're trying to explain the duality of how God can be God and God can be man all at the same time and completely both. Well, the Bible says it. And I'm going to do my best to explain it if someone asks me, but I I can't explain it all. And I'm good with that. Who wants a God that you can explain everything about them that acts just like you, that sins just like you, that get angry just like you, that just does these things just like... I don't want that. That's, that's a man-centered God. I want a God who's infinitely greater than me forever and ever and ever. That's the God I'm ready to bow down right now to. And that should be our... Our God's an awesome God. So who made God? Question four as we close. Who made God? Your child, grandchild, great-grandchild ask you that tomorrow. Papaw has talked to Mr. Hammonds today. He's the first-time grandpa this weekend. I said, well, if grandpa, it's time to go home. He goes, well, they call me Papaw. I'm going to be called Papaw. I said, okay, Papaw. So when, when Paul is asked, who made God, what are you going to say? What's called? Don't call Pastor Tim. That's a who too hard a question for Pastor Tim. You've got to answer this one. No, God is not. He's not made. He always has been. Well, how does that work? He has always been. No, that's a question for somebody else. No, we just the Bible says it's true, and we are believing it. He's he's uncreated. Do you understand? If he was created. Somebody had to be there to create him, or he had to create himself, which he cannot do. So he, the Father, Son, and Spirit have always been, and most recently, in the last 6,000 years, he made a wonderful universe that people to dwell with him for eternity if they would choose to do that. But we sin, but he has the Son to make reconciliation that we might spend eternity with him. Now that should jar our apple butter. And don't we have an awesome God? We do. Let us rejoice in him tonight and tomorrow and the next day. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for your your word, how it refreshes our soul to be around others of like precious faith, to pray with one another for the needs of our land, our people. Then, Lord, to hear from your word that you are yet in control clearly, and you have had a plan from the ages past, and you never change. Lord, I humbly bow before you, gladly bow before you for eternity. You are an awesome God, and I praise you, praise you for what you have done for me. May we rejoice as we go out. In just name I pray. Amen.